Well, it is good to see everyone here today. I hope that your bellies are still full of turkey and lots of stuffing, or should I say you are stuffed with turkey. So good to see you here today. Would you just bow your heads with me? Let's go uh, to the Lord in prayer as we go before his word. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for such a season as this that reminds us that we have much to be thankful for. Father, as we gather here today, come before your word. We just pray, as, as we always do, that you would soften our hearts. Let our ears hear, let our hearts be ready to submit to the power and truth of your word. Because we want to honor you and bless you in the way we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, if you turn on any uh, type of news or read any sort of uh, newspaper or magazine, it won't take you very long to realize that perhaps we are living in a day that seems to be more, I don't know, divisive or divided. You open up a magazine, it'll, it'll, the title would be perhaps A Nation Divided or a family divided or a world divided. You know, it seems to me, and maybe you feel the same way, that it just feels so divisive that the people are divided, the community is divided, the culture seems a little bit more divided than before. It feels like that way to me, and maybe it feels like that way to you. We seem to be more sharply divided along uh, party lines than ever before, if you tend to look at uh, the nation that way. Depending on, on what ideas you hold on to, we also seem to be divided within our own party lines. And at the center of a lot of this division tends to be people, don't we? Right? Isn't there, whether it's a president or a potential Senate candidate like Roy Moore, who's been accused of sexual harassment, or a powerful Hollywood producer. Then, then there are the ideas driven by some of these people, whether it's tax cuts or tax bills or budgets. But we seem to be living in a time with a lot of division. It just seems that more and more, it, it seems easier to, to identify those things that drive us to opposite sides of the room rather than those things that bring us closer together. Those things that we have in common, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I could use a little bit of unity right about now. And it's in the midst of a time such as this that I believe that we are in dire need of such a strong song as the song that we're going to study today, as the last part of the series of life songs. Why? Because this song calls the people of God and all the nations to come and worship the one and only true God. A song that unites God's people together for one singular reason, to know that he is God and we are his. 
If you have your Bibles with you, would you take your Bibles out? Whether it's in old school form in a book or in your devices, would you turn to Psalm 100? Psalm 100. You know, this psalm comes at the end of a section that some scholars will say is the enthronement psalms. Uh, I think 93 to about 99. And it comes to this psalm where uh, I believe it's one of the most quoted psalms as, as uh, we heard, you know, as you hear week after week perhaps in a worship service. So I'm going to read it. You follow along, and if you'd like to declare it with me, please do in whatever uh, translation you may have. I'm going to read it in the ESV version, so follow along with me. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his, and we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. May God bless the reading of his word. Like I said, it's a a psalm that is probably read more times by worship leaders across the world than any other psalm, perhaps, when they call the church to worship. And it's a psalm that teaches us and its readers that what we ought to do and the whys of worshiping God. Now, let me tell you why this psalm is so special to me. I was a worship pastor for over, well, close to two decades. So it was through worship in the church that I drew closer to God, that I fell more deeply in love with him. So let's call this a worship primer, all right? The worship primer. And we're gonna go verse by verse because it's only five verses in this, in this psalm and I believe there's so much truth to it. First one, make a joyful noise. That's in the ESV. I think maybe if you have the NIV, it says shout for joy to the Lord. I like that version. Shout for joy to the Lord. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you shouted in church? I'm kind of shouting now, I guess. When was the last time you shouted uh, for joy in church? You know, some of us have grown up in churches where we uh, have, uh, it was taught to us, we may not even know who it was, that we're supposed to be quiet like church mice right? Uh, that there's this certain reverence to being silent, and there certainly is at at times that is appropriate. But you know, uh, I I read something this week that we get this idea of being silent from maybe Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20. It says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now that's where we may actually get that idea. But can I tell you something? When you study Habakkuk chapter 2, leading up to that verse, silence really is not anything related to worship. It's actually uh, the Lord placing judgment upon a nation, saying, you need to keep silent because judgment's coming, and I want you to hear the judgment. So we know that maybe that's not the reason why we keep silent. So maybe there must be proof in the Psalms. 
Maybe in the Psalms that tells us somewhere that we need to keep silent in worship. Well, you know, come to find out, most of the time in the Psalms, when it talks about silence, guess what it's in the context of? Judgment and death. <laughs> yes, that's the, most of the time in the Psalms, being silent is in the context of judgment and death. You know, one reference is Psalm 115, verse 17. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. So every, almost every place it talks about silence is not in the context of worship in the Psalms. It's in the context of judgment and death. It's actually something quite negative. Now, am I saying that being silent in church is a bad thing? No. I believe there are times for us to be silent, perhaps to hear the voice of God. But when we're done with that, look what this, the psalmist writes here. Make a joyful noise. Shout for joy to the Lord. Now, let me give you an example. Now, usually, as, as you know, I'm a Patriots fan. Yes, yes, sit down. Just calm down. But I'm, for the, please forgive me, but I'm going to actually use a Giants illustration. Who have any Giants fans out there, right? Now, I'm going to actually um, um, use an illustration that's very painful for me, but I'm going to use it. Do you remember in the Super Bowl in 2008, February, where the Patriots, the New England Patriots, were embarking upon his, history as they had just completed the perfect regular season. You know where I'm going with this, Giant fans, right? Do you remember that game? The helmet catch, huh? Do you remember, do you remember the helmet catch, right? What did you do when you saw the helmet catch? If you were a Giants fan, I'm sorry, you probably made some ungodly noise. Right? Doesn't God deserve such excitement? Shout for joy to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Or the NIV says, worship the Lord with gladness. You know, let me, let me explain to you in, in the original Hebrew what that says. Worship the Lord with gladness. Now let me tell you in some other translations, it says, worship the Lord with gladness. There's really no rocket science uh, to that. It's worship the Lord with gladness. You know, when I was growing up uh, as a little uh, son of a pastor, right? I, my dad was a pastor. He was a missionary. He was a church planner. And growing up in the Korean church, one thing that I thought was always kind of funny was that whenever they sang songs and whenever they prayed, they were very serious. Did some of you grow up in churches like that? Right? And, and as a little boy growing up in a very serious church, you always thought, wow, following God is a really serious business. I thought one of the requirements of coming to church was that, you know, no smiles allowed. And God forbid someone said something funny, right? Because being glad and happy was just not, a, I, I just remember thinking that. But this psalmist says, no. We ought to be glad. 
when we worship him. We need to worship him with gladness. Look, in the original, he worship the Lord with gladness. Thank you very much. Praise Jesus. I, that's the first one that I've been here wanting to hear. We ought to have a, a hop and a skip when it comes to worshiping God. When was the last time you made a shout and you came into church with a skip in your step? Because you know what? There's this invitation for you to come and worship the Lord with gladness. And it goes on, come before him with joyful songs. Oh my, the joy of being together with someone you, you love ought to make you break out in song. Have you ever done something like that? What's your song that you bring to God? I didn't say that it had to sound good. I'm not saying it had to be worthy of the voice or anything like that. But what's your song? You know what that looks like? You know, one of my favorite movies is on TV now. And it's called Elf, right? It's one of the best. It's, it's like a classic, isn't it? Will Ferrell, right? And there's this one scene. If you don't know what this movie's about, it's about a regular-sized man who was brought up, uh, who grew up in the land of elves. So he's larger than, and then he finds out that he's actually not an elf. So he goes searching for his biological father, and he finds him. In New York City, he's, he, he's an executive in an ad agency. And then he finds him dressed like an elf, and he goes into his office, and he sings this song. Because his dad thinks it's a singing telegram. He says, you know, um, I'm an orphan, but I have a dad, and I found you, daddy. I love you, I love you, I love you! That was my best impression. <laughs> Thank you very much. But can I tell you something? What a perfect example of when you love somebody so much, you can't keep your excitement inside, and the song just flows. I love you, I love you, I love you! What might your song be as a people of God? You know, the psalmist, if you're having a, a, a trouble coming up with a, top, a topic of a song, he gives one to us. He says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. If you've ever felt like you were alone in this world, you are not. If you've ever felt like no one really wanted you, you are wrong. God wants you and he calls you his own. And I don't know about you, that makes me want to sing a song. Come before him with joyful songs. Come before him with joyful songs. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You know, there is this um, 
wonderful story that I've told you before. I know that I've told you this before. In the ancient Near East, when a king conquers a land, he invites two groups of people before his presence after the battle has been won. The first group that he invites are the conquered people. And they come before him with their hands tied behind their backs and they are bowing to his superiority. But the second group that he invites before into his presence is this. He invites his beloved citizens. And every picture that we know of in the ancient Near East, they come before him singing and celebrating with their hands open and bringing gifts because they know that they are citizens of the king's kingdom. Wow. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And it's for this reason, and it's for this reason that we are called to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now listen. I know that for some of us, when it comes to worship, perhaps you come to worship because you want to make sure you get your check mark. I have a little secret for you. There's no check marks to be had. I know for some of us, holidays are hard. But pastor, I'm just not in the mood. You don't really know my situation. You know, pastor, I'm just looking. I'm not really sure of anything God-related as of yet. I'm still on the outside looking in. Maybe that's you. Pastor, you don't really know what I've endured. I'm not quite sure if I can be thankful yet for my life. Listen. Can we talk? Listen carefully. God knows. Can I tell you something? God cares. But when it comes to coming into worship, let me tell you something. We need to start here. It starts here. When the people of God gather, we gather to declare his covenant faithfulness. His, what I would say, or what the word of God says, his chesed love. It's this Hebrew word is chesed love, his steadfast character. That's why we gather. Now listen, I hope you don't hear me say that worship cures all. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is this. Worshiping God starts with declaring truth of who we are worshiping. Let me say that again. Worshiping God starts with declaring truth of who we are worshiping. God's character brings us here. Worshiping God unifies us all 
around the holy character of God. And it's upon this basis and this truth that anything good comes after it. Listen to what the psalmist, how he finishes this psalm. He says, For the Lord God is good. His steadfast love, or his chesed love, endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. You know, I read an interesting story this week, as I was studying this, that ancient Israel, Israelites loved bird watching. Isn't that kind of a funny thing? Ancient Israelites loved bird watching. And uh, there was one bird particularly that they were not really impressed with. They actually hated it. That's what I read. It was the ostrich. You know, the ostrich was uh, one thing good going for it was it was fast. But it would lay eggs everywhere, just anywhere. It would lay eggs in the middle of a path. But when danger came around, because the ostrich was fast, it would just run away. And upon watching the ostrich, they said, we don't like this bird. It just runs away from danger, right? But there was one bird that they were especially impressed with. It was the stork. The stork was interesting. They said, here's the stork. When they laid an egg, they stayed with the egg. No matter how hard or how big the danger was, it would fight until its dying breath to protect the egg. Isn't that interesting? So when they had to actually name the bird, they started with the word chesed, changed a couple letters, and it, they called it chasidah because of its loyal love and staying power. Now, interestingly enough, that's God's character. Chesed, right? Loyal love. And he has staying power. Look, if you're having trouble entering into his presence with thanksgiving and praise, can I help you by reminding you that God's chesed character is enduring for you? His faithfulness to you, even when you're not, is enduring. His pursuit of you, even if you're not sure you want to pursue him, can I tell you, it's enduring. His staying power and love for you, when you're not in the mood, is enduring. No matter how hard it may get. But there was one time that God turned his face away from someone, anyone, that mattered to him. There was this one time that he turned his face away. And that was the time when he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross. To pay for our sins when Jesus became sin for us. That God turned away so that he could guarantee he would never turn away from you. Jesus' temporary loss ensured our guarantee of God's 
chesed love. For the Lord is good. His steadfast chesed love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Hopefully that gives us reason. Hopefully that gives us cause to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise today and every day. We live in a very divided world. In the midst of a world that is continually divided, we are in dire need of God's church to be strong and a united force in the face of opposition. The enemy would have us divided, arguing amongst ourselves, because he knows a house divided cannot stand, and it will fall if that happens. But how? How would that happen? Can I tell you something? If a church neglects to worship God, or forgets how to worship God, I'll tell you that is a church whose future is in question. But a church that worships with one voice, united, whoa. I tell you, now that is something awesome. I believe we, as a church, are to really reflect heavenly worship. We get a picture of what heavenly worship looks like in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4 and 5. I want to tell you that on the night that King Uzziah died, that Isaiah had a vision. He saw the Lord seated high upon his throne. And the citizens of heaven, the seraphim, were flying around and they were all chanting one thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They all kept chanting it over and over again, declaring truth, revealing the truth of who God was. And here's what happens in Isaiah 6. I recommend you read it. It says, the thresholds of the temple shook. The temple shook. As the truth of who God was was declared. You know, I, I try to imagine what that would be like. You know, um, I'm a, I love football, so I'm going to go to a football story. You know, back in 2015, I, I actually got to go to about uh, two or three games at Gillette Stadium because I'm a Patriots fan. So, okay, all right, all right. And I remember when I first walked into Gillette Stadium, I'm like, wow, this place is huge, you know? And um, I remember one game uh, against the Denver Broncos. I know any Denver Broncos here, right? Um, I went to one game against the Denver Broncos. Pastor Mike Adams of Saratoga and I, we got really good seats, like row six behind, like, you know, um, behind one of the end zones. And we got to experience something that I just thought was just so amazing. 
We're surrounded by um, like-minded fans. When I say that, that means Patriot fans, right? And they're just clobbering Peyton Manning and just the Broncos. And it was just one of those classic games like, whoa, this is going to be a runaway game. And people we don't even know, they're turning around, high-fiving us, hugging us, you know, and like we're screaming. Have you ever experienced a, a, a large stadium, right? And um, at one point, we're just chanting, you know, you, I forgot what we were chanting. We were just cheering on the Patriots. They started doing something that I just thought was so awe-inspiring, and, and I felt like this is what it may have felt like, or it may feel like. As they were cheering with one voice for their team, they started banging on anything they could bang on, and they started stomping, and the entire stadium shook. Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. It was a little scary for a moment, right? I hope they built this thing right, you know, and, and it shook the very foundations of that stadium. And I remember thinking, wow. If the people of God would be united in making a joyful noise, shouting for joy, making a, bringing joyful songs, coming in with thanksgiving and praise, we could shake the thresholds of the temple. That's what worship in heaven's going to be like, my friends. You know what this time is? It's just practice. It's rehearsal. What are you doing to practice? We need a psalm like this in our day. Because the very thing that unites us is the holy character of God when we come into this place as a church, whether it's in Latham or in Half Moon or East Greenbush or Saratoga, when we gather as the church, we get an amazing opportunity to practice worship. And I pray we come in for the right reasons. And I pray that we are bold enough to offer God what is due him because he is worthy simply because he's worthy, not just because what he's done or is doing. So I would like to end our time together a little bit differently. I just had this picture in my mind. The people of God standing in a stadium and just pounding, pounding, and just clapping, right? When was the last time you made a joyful noise for the Lord God? who's made you, who has declared you his,
who is good, who is faithful to you. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to do something just crazy. Is that okay? Yes! Now listen. Here it is. Here it is. And I don't care how long it goes. But as soon as I say amen, I want you to stand to your feet and act like God just won the Super Bowl of eternity, which he has. And I want you to just make a joyful noise, whether you stomp, whether you clap, whether you yell. Because you know what? God deserves it. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for such songs as Psalm 100 that reminds us what we ought to do when we worship you, God. That points us to the right reasons why we come to worship. Not because we are in the mood, not because we feel like it or don't, but God, because you are just simply worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. We need no other reason, and God, if we were honest, we have gotten away from it. So today, as the people of God, whether we are Christ followers who are Christ-centered or just exploring the faith, God, you invite all the nations into your presence because of your character. And your character never changes. So Lord, our reason never changes. May our worship start here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on.